So one of the sad realities uh, of life is that we all experience suffering. Uh, so we're going to start on a really positive note here. So one of the sad realities of life is we all experience suffering, right? And a lot of times it's not just suffering in general, which is sometimes easier, not always, but it's suffering from people, suffering from difficult people. Um, this is something that we've all dealt with and, and maybe you're dealing with right now. And we're looking at, uh, if you're new today, we're looking at First Peter, which is a letter that Peter, uh, one of Jesus' closest friends and one of the leaders of the early church, he writes this letter to Christians and he kind of starts off really broad explaining what does it mean to be a Christian and what's our hope in and what's it mean to love and what's God doing and then starts to get really specific with various aspects of our life. And so last week we talked about kind of Christian in relation to government Peter talks about and this week he begins to talk about what is it what does it mean to relate to difficult bosses. So this is something that probably many of you have had. You've had difficult bosses. Even if you work for yourself, you've had probably a difficult boss. But we all, I assume, have had difficult bosses or will have difficult bosses. And this is something that Peter gets into. But if for you that's totally irrelevant, you don't have a difficult boss, you love your boss, or you work for yourself and you love your boss, either way, um, what Peter deals with is the experience in the middle of this suffering. So he deals with the sorrow and the feelings of uh, injustice and the suffering in the middle of this situation. So even if you say, man, I don't have a difficult boss at all, what what Peter says I think is still helpful for, for all of us. I think it's still helpful for any of us that deal with any kind of suffering. And here's the, here's the truth. The time to think about suffering is not the day that it begins. Because if you think about suffering on the day it begins, it's already a little too late. The time to think about it is now, uh, before you suffer. Or if you're in the middle of suffering, that's okay. You can, you can think, I mean, I'm not saying, hey, it's hopeless for you. But it's, we, we should all be thinking about this because one of my jobs, really, even as a pastor, and I think throughout the, the Bible, the, the pastors, uh, as they write letters to the church, see this as part of their job is to prepare people for suffering. Because it's just a part of life. It's something that's going to happen. So this is what Peter gets into tonight, specifically about difficult bosses and difficult people. But I think we can extrapolate that to just suffering in general, sorrow in general. So let's see what Peter has to say to us. And here's where he begins. This is 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. This is going to be a difficult text, so just listen to the weight of these words. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer it for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So here's what Peter begins to discuss. Suffering injustice. And let me just say this by way of preface, because how Peter begins this text and who he's writing to specifically, he says, servants be subject to your masters. And for some of us, we might just totally shut down and say, I knew it, the Bible, it's just pro-slavery and it's just a horrible book and, and all of that kind of stuff, which if we don't understand, um, then that, I empathize with that. Because Peter is writing to people that are slaves. He's writing to people and he says, be subject to your masters, not just the good ones, but the bad ones too. So what do we do with that? Well, let me say just a couple thoughts by way of preface. The first thing is this. When we read slavery in the Bible, we think of American slavery, but that's not what this is talking about. Slavery in these days was not racially based. It was not based on one exclusive race that had been kidnapped and taken somewhere and now they were slaves. That's not what it was based on. It was based economically for the most part. So what that might mean is that one country wars against another country and instead of killing everybody, they make the people servants. Or it might mean that uh, people that were in dire economic straits sold themselves with their professional abilities, whether they were doctors or lawyers or construction workers, and they would sell their services in the employment of their masters. Um, it, it could be that you were born a slave because your parents had uh, put themselves into slavery through something like that. But here's the thing. I'm not saying it was okay. I mean, it, still, it wasn't good. I mean, all slavery is bad. So it wasn't good, but it was different than what we think of with slavery. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Peter is not writing as an activist. And he's not writing as a political champion. And he's not writing a book on what do we think about slavery. That's not what he's writing. Peter is a pastor. And he begins his letter saying, Hey, Christians, you're in a world that is broken. You're in a world that doesn't function the way it's supposed to function. You are in exile is the word that he uses. You're in a world that is broken. And I, as a pastor, want to help you know how to live in that world. You see, Peter's not writing to say, let's get rid of this. And hey, this is wrong. And let's get rid of that. And he's not trying to set up a new government. He's trying to help people. So he's trying, he's saying, man, there's people, there's Christians among you that are slaves. And so how do you live in the middle of your problems? That's what Peter's writing about. So if you were to sit down with Peter and say, hey, what do you think about slavery? He would say, it's wrong. He would say, that's not God's intention. We're all made in the image of God. God didn't design. And, and I mean, I don't, sometimes people look at the Bible because of texts like this and think it's pro-slavery. But here's the reality. It's the very Bible that ended slavery. I mean, I don't know if you know of a man named Martin Luther King Jr. Anyone ever heard of that guy? But do you know what his title was? Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.? I mean, he, he was a pastor. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's the very Bible here that, that led to the end of slavery in this country. It's through people that took it seriously and began to see what does it actually say. Okay, so that's just by way of preface, because I have to say that, because when we, if we're just going to read a text that begins with, hey, slaves obey your masters, we can kind of be like, what? That's interesting. I'm not going to really listen to anything else that you say, if that's what you say, Peter. But here's what Peter is saying. He wants to help people in the middle 
of the difficult circumstances. So what does he say? What does he say to us if we're suffering injustice? What, what, is, what does he give to us? Here's the first thing. Peter says this. He, I, I just love Peter acknowledges that it is unjust, that it's suffering, that it's sorrow. And he acknowledges both the external experience and the internal reality, the external experience being suffering from unjust people. So he says, look, you're in a situation where you might have a boss And this is, you know, it's not a direct correlation between maybe you feel like a slave in your job, but it's not a direct correlation, but it applies where we have authority over us that might be unjust or difficult people that might be treating us unjustly. And Peter acknowledges that. He says, you are suffering. And he acknowledges the internal reality of sorrow. Suffering is kind of the external things that are taking place. And sorrow is that emotion that we have in the middle of it. He just says, look, I'm going to name it. It's unjust. It's suffering. It's wrong. Sometimes people really have a hesitancy to do this about their situations. Talk to many people and they don't want to name. No, that was wrong. Whether, whether it's because it feels like it gives the person power or you're making a big deal of something, it's important just to name this is wrong. And I'm having sorrow. And Peter acknowledges that. He acknowledges you are suffering, you're experiencing sorrow, and that could be for a variety of reasons, right? If you're in this situation, or if you've been here, or if you will be here, it could be because of a variety of reasons. Sorrow, sorrow because it feels like you're stuck, sorrow because of the way you're treated, sorrow because of the situation and how it causes other people to view you. The suffering could be a variety of sufferings from an unjust boss, it can be the words that they use. It can be the way they lie. It can be the actions. It can be I mean, all sorts of things, right? And Peter says, he acknowledges, he sees it. And so what do we do? What do we do if we're in this situation and we're stuck? Because this is what P- Peter's writing to people that are stuck here. So wh- what do we do when we're stuck in our suffering? Because that's really important. Some suffering might be a day, you wake up and you have a bad day, but some suffering is bad days. It's not a moment of suffering, it, is, it feels like life and you're stuck. What do you do when you're stuck in suffering? What do you do when you're stuck in injustice? What do you do when you're stuck in sorrow? What do you do when you're stuck? This is what Peter says. First thing, he says, check ourselves. Check yourself. In the text, he says that sometimes, sometimes we are punished for our sin. So he says, hey, I'm writing to you, and if you're suffering from an unjust boss, let's talk about that. But sometimes we suffer for our own sin with our boss. So sometimes maybe in your work, you're like, man, my boss is always on my case and he's always grilling me, and he's always talking bad about me, and he's, he's just out to get me. Okay, but maybe let's dig a little bit deeper. Oh, you're late to work. You're always talking about the boss behind his back. You're always complaining about everything. If you're supposed to clock out at five, you clock out at five, and you will never stay a minute longer. You're always, but you show up at 8.01. You're always complaining about policy. You're always, I mean, so... 
Maybe you're cutting corners, you're being rude to the customers, you're scrolling on Facebook, and your boss doesn't like you. And you think, injustice! No, he sees things rightly. So the first thing Peter says is, hey, just check yourself. Are you in this situation where you actually are deserving? That's the first thing. Second thing he says is this, obey, right? That's how he opens it up, be subject to them. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Be subject to your masters with all respect. So this is getting at both our actions and our attitudes. The actions of be subject to them. Do good to them, he says. So what, what do we do? If you're an employee, what's our role? If you're a Christian and you're an employee, what do we... We should be the very best employee in that company, or at least attempting to be. We should be working as hard as we can work, doing the best job that we can do. Do good. Obey. Be subject to. That's action. And then with all respect, that's attitude. That means, and he says, to the ones that are bad, right? So be respectful to those that are dis respectable, that are not respectable people, be respectful to them. Now, I think this is true for everybody, but I think it's particularly true for men. I think that men have a really hard time, and I think this is, again, true for everyone. I think women are just used to dealing with disrespectful people, especially men, for a lot of their life. doesn't mean it's okay, it just means they've had to develop more thick skin, guys are a little sensitive, and we, we feel like You've got to earn our respect. That's a very kind of, it's just ingrained, I mean, whether it's sports or in the playground, there's just this very, respect is almost seen as a currency. That if you earn it, then I will give it to you. Now, again, that can be true for everybody. I think men just feel that in a heightened way. That respect for us is almost a currency. This is why guys can punch each other in the face and at the end of it be friends. Because they go, man, man, you, you've got some good muscle. I, I respect that. There's, it's okay, you've earned my respect. And what Peter is saying to all of us, but again, I think it can be particularly difficult for men. What he's saying to all of us is this. You are to give respect when someone hasn't earned it. I want you to give what is one of your most valuable possessions that you withhold from people. Until they've earned it, I want you to give it freely. That's difficult, right? So Peter says, what are we to do in this situation? We are to obey in our action, in our attitude. And what will happen at that point? We're still going to suffer. Peter's not a career coach. He's not trying to say, hey, suck up to your boss and then everything will be good. He's saying, here's what you do when you're stuck in suffering. Here's how, I want you, he says, to endure suffering. Which, I mean, a lot of times we, maybe you've even heard this kind of teaching before and you go, okay, I'll try that. I'll try to be respectful. I'll try to do good. Let's see how it goes. If it goes bad, then you go, okay, well, I tried that. Now it's time to be disrespectful. Now it's time to, now it's time to start showing him, you know, who's boss. He's boss, but I'm going to show him who's boss and my attitude. Peter says, I want, this is going to stay like this 
And I want you to endure through it. So how do we do that? I mean, because that's, that's really the question. How do we endure in the middle of unjust suffering? How do you do it? Peter says it depends on what our mind is full of. See, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of suffering, and if you're here right now, your mind is full of things, right? I mean, if you've got anyone difficult in your life, if you've got anyone difficult in your life, if you have any suffering in your life, if you particularly have a difficult boss in your life, your mind is full of things. It's full of comparison. I wish I had that person's job. It's full of what you want to do to that person. I don't know if you've ever seen, it's an old movie now, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, True Lies, and he'll have these little flashback moments where he, some of you may don't even know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is, he's like 90 years old now, but he has these flashback moments where he, or not flashback, imaginary moments where he's killing the person or something and then really he's just talking with them. And your mind is full of things if you're suffering from an unjust boss. You think of, oh, I could have said this to him when he said that. Oh, I should have done this and when they did this, I would have done that and boom, checkmate. That's what we think. We can think of comparisons of other people. We can, maybe, what is your mind full of? Maybe it's just full of vacation. Just, I will be out of here one day. Maybe it's full of just not even that far. Maybe it's just full of lunch. Just, okay, if I can just get to noon. Or I remember one time I had this boss I did not like, and anytime there was an errand that needed to be run, I would, I'll do it. I can get out of there, just be in my car. Oh, I got lost. I was gone for a while. I'm sorry, you unjust fellow. Your mind is full of things, right? When you're suffering. Peter says it depends what our mind is full of. And what Peter says is we are to be mindful of God. To be mindful is to have our mind full of this. What do you fill your mind with when you're in the middle of suffering? Peter says, God. So what does that actually mean? Peter goes on to spell it out. What do we fill our mind of God with? And here's what we'll talk about the remainder of the time. Peter's going to give us four at least four that I see in here, distinct things that we are to fill our mind with of God. Because here's what happens in suffering, specifically with unjust people and bosses. We view in the situation me and them. And that's how we see it. Or if it's not an unjust boss, if it's just a difficult circumstance, me and my sickness, or me and this my layoff, and me and whatever the suffering is. That's how we view it. Me and this thing. And Peter says we have to fill our mind with God. There's another person in the equation. So what do we fill our mind with about God? Peter gives us four aspects of that. The first is this. He has a purpose. He has a purpose. Peter says, this, I mean, this is amazing. Peter says, this is what we were called to. He says in verse 21, for to this you have been called. So in the middle of this, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, in the middle of this injustice, Peter says, you've been called to this. You've been called to this. That, that, we don't want to hear that. But, Peter says, what he's telling us here is God has a purpose. See, what, what does it mean that we've been called to it? What it means that we've been called to it is this. When you be, if you're a Christian, when you became a Christian, 
you were called into suffering. Because in immediately upon becoming a Christian, you became an exile in this world. You became a person in this world where the world is hostile to you. You became a person now with an identity that is in heaven, but you live in this place where everything is still broken. And so your calling to be a Christian is a calling to now be in the middle of suffering. But here's what this means. It means that God is not surprised. He's not shocked. Whatever you're going through right now, whether it's injustice from a boss or suffering in general, God is not shocked. He's not surprised. Peter's going to talk about suffering a lot in this letter. He does in the opening chapter, and we already talked about that. In the coming weeks, he'll talk about it again. And the idea is this, God is not shocked. We're shocked. God's not. God's not shocked. And what is encouraging to me, what isn't, so, God has a purpose. God calls us to suffer. If you're a Christian, I mean, this is not how you grow a big church, but it's just the truth. God, if you're a Christian, God is calling you to suffer. Now, I'm not saying that's the totality of our experience. I mean, God, I think, calls us to joy and to love. And to, but if you're a Christian, God calls us to suffer. I mean, it's just a fact. It's all throughout the Bible. But what I love about this is what this means is that there's a purpose to it. And that encourages me is there's a purpose. See, we can get through a lot of stuff. We can get through a lot of stuff. We can endure suffering if there's a purpose to it, right? If there's a purpose to our suffering, we can endure it. Think about it just on the most basic level. For those of you that are um, healthier than I and exercise and work out, if somehow there was the ability to just sit in a chair and make yourself all of a sudden feel your biceps have pain and feel like you had just done several miles of cardio, if there was just the ability somehow to make yourself feel like that, you would never do that. There would be no reason. There's not the purpose of health and appearance and feeling good. If you could just make yourself feel that, no, but people put themselves through that pain because there's a purpose for it. They endure that pain because there's a purpose for it. The same thing with something more extreme, childbirth. You can endure that suffering because there's a purpose for it. You would never, if you just had the power to make yourself feel contractions, you would never do that. I mean, unless you're insane. But people go through that because there's a purpose for it. And the more noble the purpose, the more deeply connected it is with our heart, the more we're able to endure so, I mean, you will wait in line for a movie. Midnight showing. I mean, I don't, you might not. I will some, for some movie. You might wait in line at an at a amusement park for a ride for an hour and a half, and you will endure that suffering. But it's minimal. But you wouldn't go through contractions to get to see the midnight showing because it's not as noble of a purpose. It's not as deeply connected to the desires of your heart. But the more noble the purpose the more deeply connected to the desires in our heart, the more we're able to endure, right? And Peter says that suffering is connected with the deepest, most noble desire of all, which all of this is under the subheading. Peter's whole, this whole section is under the subheading, 
What we talked about several weeks back where Peter says that our purpose is to proclaim his excellencies, to show and to talk about how good Jesus is. That we live lives that show how good Jesus is. That by our good lives and words, we're to show how good he is. So how does suffering help do that? If that's the purpose that it connects to. How does, if that's part of why we're called to that, how does suffering do that? How does suffering point to how good Jesus is? There's a long, I mean, we could talk about that for several hours, but let me just tell you a couple things. I mean, I think it connects to that purpose because when all human props are knocked away from our life, but we still depend on Jesus and still have strength, we show he's good. When we have suffered, when we have injustice coming against us and we don't retaliate, we say, you know what? There's something more important to me than my reputation. I love God. That shows how good he is. I mean, if, we, if you can suffer, that is something that is very well with joy even and still be good to people that are persecuting you or harming you. That's something very distinct that shows distinctly There must be something about the God you believe in. A lot of times, God will actually use the suffering in your life for the person that is causing the suffering to show them how good God is. Or maybe just the people watching you. Man, how could you go through that? If I was going through that, this is what I would do. I would expletive, expletive, expletive. I would do this. But you're not. Why? A lot of times God will use the very suffering we're experiencing to reach the people causing it or the people around witnessing it. So here's the first thing. God has a purpose. Without without God in the middle of your suffering, it's just suffering. And a lot of times people try to make good out of it, but it doesn't always work, and it's just suffering. But fill your mind with a God that has a purpose. Fill your mind with the God that's in control. Do you believe in this God? Do you believe that God has a purpose for you? Fill your mind with that truth about God. Second thing, he's the judge. In the middle of suffering, we need hope, right? I mean, people say things like, man, I just feel defeated or I'm just going to give up in the middle of suffering, in the middle of injustice. And with, when that happens, it's kind of, it's all over. We need hope. In the middle of your suffering, if you're experiencing it, or when you have, what is it that you want? I mean, you want, you want things to get better, right? But, but you want more than that. You want justice. You don't just want to be transported from one situation to another situation. You want justice. If, you have, if right now you are experiencing a boss that is unjust towards you, you don't just want to leave that situation and be in a new situation and wipe it out of your mind. You want justice, right? I do. We want justice. We want justice. And Peter says this. Peter says about Jesus that he endured suffering unjustly. That people persecuted him, that they crucified him, that they slandered him, that they attacked him. He went through this and part of how he made it through that 
was that he knew he put his trust in the God that will judge. The God that will judge. That will bring justice. Jesus knew on the cross there will be justice for this. That's part of what got him through. Here's the truth. All injustice against you, all sin done against you will be judged. It will be judged. It will either be judged in the ultimate sense of God casting people away from his presence forever, or it will be judged on the cross of Jesus. That Jesus will be, that Jesus's death will become effective for them. It will be judged all sin done against, I mean, all sin done against you, ever. And I, I know, I mean, with this many people in this room, there's been some horrible sins done against you. It will all be judged. There will be justice. Maybe not on this earth, but there will be justice, either because Jesus will be crucified for it, or God will judge them ultimately. And here's what's interesting about this. There's a man named Miroslav Volf, which is the coolest name in the world. And I'm going to change my name to that next Sunday and forevermore. But he was a man, a Croatian, that lived through Serbian genocide. And when he got to America, when he got to America, all these Americans that don't like judging, right? We hate judging, said, if you believe in a God that judges, you will become a judgmental person. And he said, only, only a foolish American would say that. Only someone that hasn't lived through what I've lived through would say that. Because here's the reality. Because I know that God is a judge, I can love other people. Because I know that God is a judge, I don't have to execute judgment on other people. I can forgive them because I know God is the judge. If, if, I did not believe in a God of justice, I would be compelled to execute justice. And I would only be filled with hatred for other people that have sinned against me in horrible ways, that have murdered my family. But the only thing that keeps me from that is knowing that God is a judge. See, the the reality is, if you're suffering injustice, you need to know that God will bring justice. And he will bring justice to them those that are evil against you, and he will bring justice to you. One of the things that Peter repeats here is, if you do this, if you endure in suffering, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Which means that God looks on that with favor, with pleasure, and that it will be rewarded. Jesus teaches this. Elsewhere in the Bible, it teaches that for those of us that are persecuted, that for those of us that suffer injustice and endure through it, you will be blessed. That doesn't mean here. And I, don't want, and I don't know what that looks like in heaven, but, it, but Jesus says there will be justice against those that bring it against you and justice for you. You will be vindicated. Jesus resurrected. He was vindicated. You will experience justice for yourself. Everything that you want, you want justice for yourself. If you are suffering injustice, if you're enduring while doing good, you'll be vindicated. God will bring you justice and God will bring them 
justice. Fill your mind with this, God. Do you believe that God is the judge? Do you believe that God is the judge? In the middle of your suffering, do you believe he is? What if you knew? I mean, literally, what if you knew this? What if you knew that every injustice against you would be dealt with? How would that help you in the middle of where you are now? If you knew that every sin against you would be righted, every wrong would be flipped upside down, that there would be justice. If you knew that, would that help? If you filled your mind with the reality that God is a judge? You know that when people, um, oftentimes this happens when someone has murdered someone, um, in the courtroom the family will want to be there for the verdict. Or if someone is going to actually go and receive the death penalty, the family will want to be there to see it. Because they want to see, and this is not you know, a commentary on the rights or wrongs of those things, It's just our human nature. We want to see justice. And when we see it, there's a peace. There's a closure. doesn't mean it's all right and everything's okay, but we want to see justice has been done. And what Peter says is that Jesus saw God will bring justice. If you fill your mind with this while you're suffering injustice, that God will bring justice, it brings peace. Third, he's our example. Peter says that we need to fill our mind with the reality that Jesus is our example. So God has a purpose, fill your mind with that. God is the judge, fill your mind with that. And God in Christ is the example. Jesus suffered. He came to the earth as a man and suffered. And Peter says, look to him as our example. What what kind of example did he provide? Well, what Peter says is he didn't sin. In all the ways that we are drawn to in the middle of suffering, Jesus didn't sin. So it says, when when he suffered, he didn't threaten. When he was reviled, which is such a nasty word, it's words being thrown against you. When he was reviled, he didn't revile. There was no deceit in his mouth. He he suffered the worst of it and didn't sin. That's not our tendency, right? In all the ways that when we experience suffering, we want to fight back with our words, with our actions, with our minds. If we can't strangle them in person, we'll strangle them in our mind. We'll pray that we have a vivid dream where we kill them or cause harm to them throw something at their head, or something at least. And Peter says when Jesus went through this, there was no sin. He didn't threaten. Oh, that's because he was Jesus. Yeah, but he was man. He was fully God, but he was fully man. How did he do that? How, how did Jesus do that? Well, it says that he continued entrusting himself to God. Which, which means this, continued, means this was already a part of his life. This is what I'm trying to get at for us tonight, that if for you, suffering is not even in your radar. Jesus lived this way before the cross. He continued entrusting himself to his father on the cross, but it was already a part of his life. Entrusting means that he turned his life over and said, God, he said, Father, 
I'm yours. So Jesus did not sin, but instead he continued entrusting himself to the Father. Sometimes we try to do what Jesus did. Try to do what Jesus did and not sin against somebody in a situation, but we fail to do so because we're trying to have the actions of Christ without the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ was, I'm entrusting myself to God. He's the judge. So this is our example that Peter says to look to. Look to Jesus as your example, Peter says. But here's the thing. Jesus is not just an example. Jesus is not just an example. Listen to me. If Jesus is your example only, you will be crushed. This is very important. Listen, if, G, if, if your life, if you call yourself a Christian and your life, if your life is Jesus is my example, you will be crushed. You'll be crushed. Because who in this room says Jesus is my example and, that is, and that's how I live, 100%. Especially in this case. Suffering unjustly? Yep, got it. Just write my name in there instead. No? Oh, none of you? Sinners. <laughs> That's the point. If Jesus is just your example, you're crushed. He is our example, but that's not all he is. He is not, if, if your life, if the flow of your life as a Christian is, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You will be crushed. You will be crushed. I mean that. Or you'll just abandon and walk away. Because Jesus is not just an example. This is why the next thing that Peter says, and the final thing, is he's our savior. This is so important. Because if if Jesus is only your example, then what that means is your life must look like Jesus' life. And if it does, good job. And if it doesn't, I don't know. Devastating. So Peter tells us Jesus is not just your example. He's your savior. That in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of injustice against you, fill your mind that I have a savior. Why is that important to this? Why is that important to suffering injustice? Because I think Peter wants to remind us that we have a savior for at least a couple reasons. Here's one of them. That we're sinners too. Right? I mean, we need to be reminded that Jesus is our Savior because we need to be reminded that we are sinners too. Because here's what happens we go, this person's unjust. They are sinning against me. They are evil against me. They are doing wrong against me. They are harming me. How dare they? But. That's what we were to Jesus before he saved us. See, we all want justice when people sin against us. But we want mercy when we sin against God. So Peter wants to remind us, he's your savior. Fill your mind with the fact that Jesus is your savior because he wants us to remember we're sinners too. We're sinners too. See, whatever you... Whoever the difficult person in your life is, if you have an unjust boss or it's somebody else that's causing you suffering and the evil that you see in them, let that be a mirror to your own heart. 
Let it be a mirror to your own heart of how God saw you, of how we were to God, and then he saved us. Because that begins to change our hearts then, right? That begins to say, man, I was like this spiritually, and Jesus gave me mercy. He was a savior to me. He is a savior to me. So how does that affect then how I am to them? And then Peter says, included in that, that that he did this, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Which I think included in this part of the context is to say, die to the sinful responses that you would want to throw out. Remember, he's your savior. Die, you've got all these things coming up in you that you want to throw out, but die to that sin. He died so you would die to that sin, so it wouldn't rule you, it wouldn't control you, but instead you would live to righteousness, that you would live for God's glory, that you would live to show how good he, I mean, all of that, once again. So first thing, I think Peter reminds us that Jesus is our savior and tells us to fill our minds with that because he wants us to know we're sinners too. But then secondly is this, he wants us to remember how much God loves us. He says that we were straying like sheep. And I don't, I'm, I don't hang around with a lot of sheep. But I don't, I mean, I, I, as I was reading this, I was thinking of stray dogs. Because I don't know what a stray sheep looks like. But a stray dog is just mangy, have no home, kind of scraggly and, and just nasty looking. Maybe stray sheep look like that too. And he says, we were straying like sheep. We're straying like sheep. And what did, what did God do? Came after us. Came after us. He, he came after us. And Jesus suffered on the cross for us. See, we were, we were sinners. We were the unjust person. We were the straying sheep. And Jesus went after us and came to the cross and died in our place for our sin. It says he bore our sins. They weren't his sins. He carried the weight of our sins on the cross. Why did he do that? Why, though we deserve death, did Jesus go to the cross instead? Why did he suffer? Why did he bear the weight of sins? It said, for us, for you. He suffered for you. I want hear this right now. He suffered for you. He suffered for you. And compare the two of them. He and you? I mean, not very great comparison. Stray dog and God? He suffered for you. So we see Jesus' example of how he went through the cross and he endured. And we see that in his mind, part of what got him through that was, okay, God will be just and I will entrust myself to him. But why did he do it all in the first place? For you. Which here's what this means. Whatever suffering you are in, or if you've experienced it before and you just have to look back, think of injustice and suffering. You wouldn't choose it, right? Right? I mean, you wouldn't say, I'm going to, you know, I think I'm going to, 
have some unjust suffering today. That sounds like a good Tuesday, right? Unless you're sick. Um, You wouldn't walk into your suffering. Jesus willingly walked into suffering that wasn't even his, but was ours deservedly. He walked into it willingly. So picture the suffering you're in right now. Whatever it is, maybe someone's throwing words against you. Maybe they're harming you. Maybe they're... That is a, is, a, is a microcosm image of the infinite of what Jesus walked into for you. Picture right now Jesus saying, hey, whatever situation you're in, I'm just going to set you over here and I'm gonna actually just going to go into it. Whatever suffering you're in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it instead. Why, Jesus? Why would you do this for me? Because I love you. Because I care for you. That's amazing. And here's why I think Peter brings this up. Because in the middle of suffering, a lot of times we can feel like I'm abandoned. God's left me. Maybe God's punishing me. Maybe God's, you know, it's just me now. And Peter wants you to see, look, he suffered for you. That means he's not bringing suffering against you because he doesn't love you. He wants you to see he suffered for you. That means he hasn't left you. He, uh, he let himself be abandoned so that you would never have to experience the abandonment of God's love. So if in your suffering it feels like God's disowned you or has left you or you're all alone or you wonder, does God love me? Peter says, possible. He suffered for you. He suffered for you. He would never then leave you. He loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. Listen, he died for you that he would bring you back to himself, it says. That we were straying like sheep, but now we've been returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He sees you. He sees your soul. He sees all of it. And he hasn't left you. He loves you. So, then he says this. Last thing. By his wounds... You were healed. You know what that means? You know what that means? By his wounds, you are healed. I mean, what that means is that in the middle of our suffering, we experience wounds. But our ultimate wound has been healed. So all the wounds that you experience now, if you remember, I have a Savior And ultimately, my wounds have been healed by Jesus. That helps you get through any suffering you're in. By his wounds, you are healed. He took our deserved wounds on himself. That way we would experience healing. And when you're suffering, it might not feel like you have healing. But you've ultimately been healed from your deepest need. Your separation from God. Your sin. And so in the middle of the worst of suffering, you can know, man, these wounds hurt, but my ultimate wounds have been healed. So, if this is where you are, fill your mind with God. Fill your mind with God. Stop filling it with payback and comparison. Fill it with God. Fill it with the God that has a purpose for you, that's in control, 
Fill it with a God that is your example that understands. Fill it with a God that is the judge and will make all things right one day. He will make all things right. And fill it with the God that is your Savior. Okay? And when we take communion, we remember that Jesus, that God. That's a good God that had a purpose in Jesus' suffering. That, was the, that took justice on himself, that set the example, and that saved us in his death. And that's what we remember. And if you're a Christian, take communion. If you're not a Christian, then I would ask you to become a Christian. Like Put your trust in this Jesus that did this for you. And then we'll receive offering at the same time and sing songs. And if you're not a Christian, please don't give anything. We want you to receive. We want you to know Jesus. But if you call this church your home, then we give as an act of worship to acknowledge how good this God is so that more and more people can know. So let me pray for us as we sing songs. And as we sing, I want you to think about this God. Maybe one of those in particular stands out to you the most. He's got a purpose. He's my example. He's my savior. He's my judge. Think about this God as you sing and worship him and thank him. Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you that you love us so deeply that you would suffer for us. And we suffer. And I know, God, I, I mean, I don't know what is happening in this room, but I know that people suffer injustice. I know that. And God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts so that they would know that this is true of you, that you have a purpose for them, that, that you understand because you've been through it, that you will right all wrongs that have been done against them and that you save them. Lord, please put this into our hearts. Let us know. And Lord, even as we sing, as we sing, let it even be more real to our hearts who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.